It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, May the 28th, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas, and we hope you're having a relaxing enjoyable and safe Memorial Day weekend. And we have another great program for you today. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us as usual to make the show run smoothly. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined from right here in Austin, Texas, once again by Jay Schneider, founder of Bridge to Shore Interventions, conducting addiction interventions around the country and the world and Jay will tell us about how addiction interventions work. Then later in the program, we'll be joined by guitarist Daryl Strode. And along the way, some notes from the field about passionately advocating for our loved ones in nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with all of the website links discussed by my guests on the program. You can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden ears. And you'll also be able to hear it on Apple Podcasts right after the program. For information from prior shows to listen to previous programs going all the way back since we've been on Blog Talk Radio for about the past nine and a half years, you can go to my website, drmaricarpell.com. You can hear them all on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And all of them are also on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for upcoming shows and events. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do to connect with other people after 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day connecting with other people. So be more active and start reconnecting. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right. Well, we're going to take a brief break to play our other sponsors' commercials, but it'll be very brief, so don't go away. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Jay Schneider, founder of Bridge to Shore Interventions. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors.
Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy. Protect your personal information and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining me on the phone from right here in Austin, Texas, is Jay Schneider, founder of Bridge to Shore Interventions. Welcome back, Jay. Hi, Dr. Carpell. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. It's so great to hear your voice again. Um, I want to let you know that there's a slight delay when we speak like this. I know, I I think all the other times we've spoken, we've been live in the office together, haven't we? That's correct. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. We haven't, we have not had you back since COVID hit. So now it's all remote. That's right. That's right. So. So just so you know, so the listeners know, there's like a half a second delay, even though we feel like we're speaking by phone. So, okay. so how have you been? How's how are things going well. since? How did COVID hit your interventions? Well, you know, I have been uh, just as busy uh, as ever. Um, uh, you know, my line of work did not take a break, even though uh, it, COVID affected so so many people. Um, you know, it it did not affect my practice with Bridge to Shore interventions. If anything, it it got busier during COVID with mm-hmm. uh, with the toll that COVID took on on folks who were already struggling either with mental health and or substance use um, uh, issues. So I, I would imagine it was little, I would imagine it was a little more challenging in traveling during the during the height of COVID. It, it was it was an adjustment um, a, a lot more uh, to navigate than usual certainly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, for listeners who might not have heard you on this program before or have never heard of you, maybe you can um, give them a little bit of background about yourself and what you do. Sure, I'd love to. Um, So uh, I started Bridge to Shore Interventions in 2015, um, and I'm the founder of Bridge to Shore. Um, I'd like to kind of back up a little bit, though, and, and tell you how I got into this field Mm-hmm. Um, people become interventionists uh, through different avenues. Um, for myself, it was back in 2001, and uh, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and my older brother, Mark, who 
was 37 at that time. Um, well, he was 38 at that time. Th at 37, he was diagnosed uh, as, as being bipolar. And a year after his diagnosis, um, he took his life. Um, he did not have a substance use uh, problem. And um, at, at that time, uh, after his suicide, well, dur during, you know, the, after, during the time he was diagnosed with being bipolar, his, his biggest complaint during that time um, from 37 to 38 years old was that the psychiatrist would change his medication every, every month and adjusting his meds. And it was uh, really difficult for him to go through that process to find what medications worked for him and, and the different side effects that those medications had on him uh, physically and mentally. And so, uh, you know, I, I believed at that time and uh, I still believe today that that consistent changing of the medications on such a uh, frequent basis was really what led him to uh, make that that you know ultimate sacrifice where he felt like there was no other way you know than to take his life. <clears throat> so I got into the to the field of behavioral health uh, while I was in Arizona, and I went to work for um, a company uh, called. Uh, Value Options, and Value Options at the time had the state contract with Arizona to provide mental health and substance use services to clients who could not afford it on their own. Um, and I worked under a psychiatrist there who, who taught me the process of crisis intervention and motivational interviewing, and I worked as a behavioral health counselor and carried a caseload of clients who had uh, both mental health and substance use disorders. Um, and, uh, and I worked for them for about five years until Value Options lost their state contract. And then I went to work for another company called Keros, working within a Child Protective Services office and intervening on um, parents or a parent that, uh, that had an open Child Protective Services case that needed mental health and or substance use treatment. So that's where I got into this field and, and really learned that that's where my passion lie was mm -hmm. uh, helping folks that, you know, really, you know, could not help themselves and needed some, some guidance into, um, you know, an effective uh, treatment modality that could work for them and help them change the trajectory of, of their life and their and the lives of their families because mm -hmm. it's, it is a family family disease and it affects not just the client who's struggling but the entire family system um, so that's how I got into this field so what what is an intervention so how does that relate to the the interventions that you do for addiction. What is what does an intervention usually entail? And I guess there's like a two part question to this. What is an intervention and how do we know when someone needs it? Yeah, that's a great question. So an intervention really is basically an interruption of a cycle of a of a 
of a process that someone is caught in <clears throat> where they cannot interrupt the cycle on their own consistently that brings them to a more healthy way of living, I guess, is, is, uh, is one way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, your, your next question was, how do you know when someone needs it? Yeah, how, how do we know when an intervention is needed? Certainly the person themselves isn't the one to reach out for help. Right. 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 Yeah. And, you know, an intervention is not always needed. It, it just depends on the situation. So uh, most families, no fault of their own, are not necessarily equipped or trained to, you know, deal with crisis situations that come up with their loved ones who are suffering from substance use disorders and or even mental health um, disorders. And so, um, you know, an intervention really um, is needed when a situation becomes apparent to the family or friends or employer or healthcare provider where someone is struggling to the point where it is causing them um, harm or difficulties. Um, And, uh, you know, that could be someone that is um, drinking too much that cannot stop and stay stopped on their own Um, and is, you know, potentially could lose their job or it's affecting their family, their lifestyle, uh, within their household, um, mm-hmm. and that person has tried on their own to quit and is unable to do so on their own. Um, or someone who is struggling with a, a mental health disorder um, and may be undiagnosed, and that person is unable or unwilling to get help on their own, uh, which happens often. Mm-hmm. Um so I primarily do interventions where uh, there there needs to be a substance use or misuse component to it. Uh, I personally do not do straight mental health interventions, mm-hmm. um, but I do do interventions where uh, there's a mental health component, which there's usually a mental health component present to someone who's suffering from substance use disorder. Right, right. So what? So what does an intervention look like? What is? What does that entail? I mean, I think most, well, a lot of people have seen it on TV or have seen movies, but we don't really know what yeah. it actually looks like. There's different intervention uh, modalities. I can tell you what one might look like um, for an intervention that I would do. So a family. Uh, is referred to me by uh, whatever way they may find me, whether it be through an attorney, a clinician, maybe through a treatment center. And a family calls me up, and I take a lot of history over the phone from them 
to find out, you know, uh, what, how is their loved one affected by, let's say, their substance use? Um, you know, talk about if there's been any suicide attempts, if there's been any diet, formal diagnoses or, you know, mental health order that they've had. Um, and we go through, you know, uh, a lot of history with not only the client but with the family system <clears throat> to find out what that looks like. We talk about if there's been any known trauma that that um, client has has been through, um, and and usually on some level there's some form of trauma in clients. Um, and so once I gather all the the history that I need. Uh, I talk to the family or the person that's calling about what an intervention would look like <clears throat> with me. And uh, when a family retains me, it's not just for the intervention and I show up and do an intervention and if they go to treatment, great. If they don't go to treatment, you know, I'm sorry, I couldn't help you. That's not how an intervention works uh, with my practice so family retains me for a period of 90 days because intervention is a process. It's not a one-time event. Mm-hmm. And so uh, pr- prior to the intervention, we're going to talk about who should be a part of the intervention team, family, friends, sometimes employers, sometimes a healthcare provider. <clears throat> and we're going to assemble that team. I'm going to send out uh, a letter uh, format for each participant to write in their own words. It's going to be specific in um, context and topics as to what they'll address in those letters. And then uh, we're going to schedule what's called a pre-intervention meeting, and that happens the day before the intervention. And that's where everyone who's going to participate in the intervention will um, gather with me, and we're going to discuss what the intervention uh, would look like, what different scenarios most likely will take place at the intervention. I've been doing this for about 18 years now, and so mm-hmm. uh, I've come up with a list of, of different scenarios based on my experience of what usually takes place. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about how we're going to handle each different scenario uh, that could come up during the intervention to where there's, you know, as few as surprises as possible for the family and the people that are part of the intervention. We're going to talk about objections that the person that we're intervening on will most likely have as to why they don't need to go to treatment, why they don't need help, or why they're not going to treatment today at the intervention. And we're going to have answers to all of those um, objections that the person comes up with mm-hmm. to, where, to where really the only avenue that is kind of left for them is to go to treatment. Uh, so once the client, uh, once we show up for the intervention, an intervention usually takes anywhere from an hour to two hours on average. Some have been uh, longer 
and uh, about 96% of the clients I intervene on go with me to treatment on that day. I transport them myself. And then once they get to treatment, 99% of my clients sign what's called a release of information for me. That allows me to stay engaged with the clinical team and the therapist at the treatment center to get weekly updates and, and progress to see how the client's doing. Um, and then towards the end of their treatment stay, <clears throat> um, I'll help the clinical team come up with a proper discharge plan for that client. And all the while the, the client's in treatment, what's uh, as important is that the family system is getting help themselves, that they're engaging in their own process process of recovery. And that's where I come in and assist them in getting engaged in uh, in to see either their own therapist um, or, you know, maybe a 12-step program that might be appropriate for them um, or family therapy, things like that, uh, mm -hmm. in addition to helping the family system begin to learn how to dialogue uh, differently with their loved one who's in treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you usually, you know, you know, you travel all over the place, so you, you've already made a connection with the treatment center in that particular location and have set everything up? by the time you go? That, that, that's correct. That's right. So I travel all over the country. Um, I, I have the opportunity to tour treatment centers all over the country. And uh, I don't blindly send a client to a treatment center that I have not toured myself and sat down with the clinical team to, you know, ask the difficult questions, find out, um, you know, uh, what they do, how they do it, to make sure I would send my own family member there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, what would you say helps for the family to do ahead of time to really, is there, if anything, to really set this up to be successful? I'm sorry, you cut out the very first part. Okay. Um, is there anything that the family can do ahead of time, ahead of your arrival, um, to set things up so that it has more likelihood of being successful? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So once a family retains me for the intervention, um, I like to have – any communication that they would like to have with their loved one kind of go through me. So before they, you know, uh, talk to their loved one about, you know, going to treatment, I like to help guide them in what to say. Um, there's, there's a couple different styles. There's, you know, a hybrid invitational model intervention where we invite the loved one to a family mediated meeting, which is primarily what I, I like to do uh, with interventions. And then there's the old uh, Johnson style intervention, which most people know as a surprise intervention. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, once the family retains me, I really like to be able to hold their hand and guide them. Um, and before they, 
take any next steps, you know, they call me and ask me and let me help guide them as to what to do or not to do. Um, and that's, that's what I'm there for, to where they don't have, you know, really any questions that they need to answer on their own. All they need to do is pick up the phone and call me or text me. This is what I'm mm-hmm. thinking about doing. Should I or shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Is it a surprise for the person most of the time when you do this? Well, so if we've, if we've done a, a hybrid invitational model intervention, um, they know that there's going to be a family-mediated meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they're, they're still surprised because even though there's a, a mediated family meeting, they're, they're still surprised sometimes as to why is there a meeting with everybody here and what are we going to talk about and they, you know, a lot of times they don't really understand that uh, the family's able to see more than they're able to see as far as, mm-hmm. you know, how they're actually suffering from a substance use disorder. Uh, and that's part of the, the nature of, of addiction is that it tells the person that is suffering from addiction that either it's not as bad as it is or they don't have it at all, um, or that they're going to get a handle on it and be able to control it. Mm-hmm, hmm But it sounds like by the time they call you, it's already, like, they've already tried all that and it hasn't worked. You know, that, that, that's exactly right. And, and most families have, have mm-hmm. tried that for years and years. And it's for the very reason that the person who's suffering from addiction, um, you know, there, there is this roller coaster of events that happens. The person is using substances. There may be a consequence that happens. And the bottom falls out. And the family comes to the rescue. And um, they try all that they know to try and help that person. And the person that's suffering from uh, the substance use disorder says, I'm going to, you know, pull it together. I'm not going to drink as much as I, I used to, or, you know, I'm not going to drink as much as I have been, uh, or I'm not going to use this substance anymore. And, and they, and they mean it. Um, and they believe that they can do that. But if they actually suffer from a true addiction, um, they're, unable to consistently control or manage that substance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the family during that time where the person faces a consequence, let's say, and uh, they are trying to manage and control their use and they seem to be pulling it together again. Um, and that may happen for a couple of weeks. It may happen for a couple of months. And the family says, well, uh, it looks like Mara's, you know, pulling it together now. We're not going to do anything. Um, thank God she seems to be doing better. And then a couple months later, the bottom falls out again. There's another consequence, another debacle that happens. And, you know, they rush to try and help. And they go, okay, I think we're going to do something. You know, Mara really needs help. And mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to do an intervention. And that cycle uh, goes on for years within the family system a lot of times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I think uh, the public sort of um, has gotten more of a picture of uh, interventions or at least more open to it after uh, the comedian, I'm sure you've seen the stand-up comic, um, John Mulaney, talked openly about his intervention. Have you seen that? I have not seen that. Yeah, that's been his comedy routine, but he he's serious about it, but, you know, he turns it in, everything is comedic for him, but he's uh-huh. very open about it. Um, his One of his lines was, um, I knew... I knew when I opened the door and all of my, you know, all these stars were there that were his friends that he uh-huh. said, you know, you have a bad drug problem when you open the door and you see all your friends and you think this yeah. must be an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently he was, he was, in, it was, he's in his forties now and he said this was in his twenties, but he was, he had, um, multiple addictions, and he was yeah. really hanging on by a thread. Sure. So, and the intervention worked. So that's the good news. Yep, In- intervention can work. Treatment can work. Um, and if someone is is suffering from um, a true addiction, substance use disorder. Uh, it's not only the treatment stay, but it's what they do when they get out of treatment um, because mm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a disease that needs to be treated to stay in remission. It's not cured. Um, and the, the addicted brain uh, tends to tell the person that is suffering from addiction that uh, – that they're cured or they no longer have it when life gets going well after treatment. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's dangerous. It is dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if listeners, if there are any listeners who are interested in what you do and finding out about your intervention services that are dealing with some of these issues with a family member or a loved one or a friend, um, what would be the best way for them to find out more about you and maybe contact you for, for help? Sure. The, the best way for them to contact me would be to go to my website, which is, excuse me, www.bridge to your interventions.com. Okay. And you said you you travel all over. I do. I travel all over the U.S. I've done some inter, international interventions before. I think there's okay. only been about uh, four or five states that I haven't been to yet. Okay. So no matter where people are listening to you, um, you can you can help them. You might be able to help them. I can. Mm-hmm. I, I can help them. Um, and it's always an honor and a privilege when a family asks me to be a part of this process. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So I'm going to post that contact information on my website post about this show later tonight. So if people didn't get to write it down, they can just go there later and it will be there. Um, I, pre- I appreciate that. Yeah, and thank you so much for being back on the program and for all that you do because, you know, I think um, it's what you, you know, it's your passion, but it doesn't sound like an easy job. (laughs) Well, I, I, fortunately, I I love what I get to do with families. Uh, It's certainly my passion. It's my calling. I hope I get to continue doing it for a long, long time and, and I really appreciate you having me on the show again. It's it's always an honor to be able to be on with you. Yeah, and let's stay in touch because I'd love to have you back. That um, would be great. Let's do stay in all touch. All right. Okay. All right. Safe Thank travels. you again. Be well. Thank <laughs> all you, right. Dr. You too. Right. Bye-bye, Bye-bye now. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. All right. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And, yeah, that's a real, it's really interesting. Um, Jay's been on the show a few times in the past before we went virtual, and um think what he's doing is really, really important. So again, I'll be posting his contact information um, later this evening on my website, and you can find out more about him there as well. So uh, before we go to our musician, Daryl Strode, who will be coming up soon, I want to talk a bit, um, a continuation of what I've been talking about for the last few weeks, which is um, that of assertively advocating for our loved ones who are in long-term care facilities um, and increasing the quality of life in these long-term care facilities. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I started um, a family council at my mom, at the facility where my mom lives. She's up in Connecticut. I'm here in Austin, Texas. So I created a virtual family council, which also um, answered the concerns about COVID when we first started. Um, A lot of family councils went virtual, but it's a really good model for people who are interested in starting a family council if you don't already have one in a facility where your loved one might live. the virtual makes it easier for people out of town, such as myself, to join in. Um, the second meeting was last week, and we had 15 of us on that Zoom, which is pretty amazing. 
I've, I've told other people who have family councils that have been going on longer that we had 15 people and they were trying to find out what the secret was. Were we meeting at a good time of day, good day of the week? That is part of it. We meet on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time and at 6 p.m. here where I am, which seems to be a good time of day for people. Um, it's during the week, not on a weekend when people might be away or visiting their loved one. And it's after work for many family, many family caregivers um, work during the day. Now, I'm not the only one who lives far away from my mom. Um, now that we had, we had 15 people there, I got to meet several family members who also live in other states. And they might live in closer states. They get to drive there more frequently. Um, one woman flies in once a month to visit her mom. So now we have people from all over that might not have been able to participate in a family council. So that is a really positive, um, that's a really positive thing. Now, I've also joined a family council that is uh, national. Um, it's called the Regional Family Council Consortium, and it's just growing. I found out when I presented, they asked me to present last week about ageism in long-term care. Um, and I found out that it was their only their second meeting, so it's brand new. I've also joined a statewide family council in the state where my mom is living. Um, it's really beneficial to join these larger family councils, um, especially since I'm, I'm the organizer of the local Family Council, um, because then I find out what's going on in the rest of the country. Um, there are guests coming in from who are experts in various areas, and I can bring it back to the Family Council and say, hey, you know, this is what I learned when I went to that Zoom meeting. So, you know, this has become a passion for me. It's brought me back to my passion of, of uh, advocating for older adults, which was my original path when I got out of graduate school, working uh, working as a geriatric psychologist, but also advocating for the residents who I work with. And um, so it, it's become um, really important um, in terms of my mom's care but has also grown to caring about other people and other residents, which um, I think is really important. Um, so one of the things that I learned um, at the statewide family council, uh, when a state legislature who who is very, her platform is all about um, issues related to elder care, um, she said that family councils are really growing um, and recently, especially now that there are laws, recent laws that protect family councils and um, mandate in several of the states, the, the facilities are mandated to support the family council, even if they don't start the family council 
once one is started, that they need to support it by providing either a space for family council to meet or letting families know. So at my mom's facility, they actually send out an email um, letting families know when the next meeting is and giving them the Zoom link. So it's really, it's really been helpful to have that kind of support. She also mentioned that state legislature that family councils are really the people on the ground to find out what is really going on in the community, not just what is seen by um, the state when they do a, a state survey or um, or even the ombudsman, what they see, but this is what the family sees on the ground with their family members. And when the family members all get together and talk about it, we can find consistencies. Did this just happen as a, a one-time thing to my mom, or is this something that's happening with other residents? And that then we can bring it to the attention of the ombudsman, who is the liaison between the, the facility and the, the family members. And the ombudsman can then look for patterns between facilities and um, bring it to a higher level to the state legislature and have laws passed. So we are the people on the ground. It, it does really help to get involved in the politics as well in terms of voting for people, for representatives who support senior um, issues um, and push senior issues. Um, it helps to push candidates and elected representatives to take more action to support issues that improve the quality of life for older adults, whether in a long-term care facility or living in a community. Um, we can do that by writing letters, signing petitions, um, letting them know that they need to take a stand on a particular issue in order to get our vote. And we can join groups. There are many groups um, right now that are activists toward, to pass laws to protect seniors and specifically uh, protect seniors in long-term care. One of those is Moving Forward, and I had the um, the chair of Moving Forward on this show, Alice Bonner, a few weeks ago. But one of the things that she said when she was on the show is that she discovered that there are several groups. And so she's been trying to pull all of those groups together to work together so that each group isn't trying to reinvent the wheel on their own. But getting involved is really, really important. And staying involved and advocating specifically for your loved one if they're in long-term care is really, really important. Many people think that, oh, you know, they're in a good place. I don't have to worry about them anymore. I can just drop them off there and I don't have to stay involved. <clears throat> Even in the best place, you need to stay involved. You need to assertively advocate um, in a very um, calm, firm way, polite way, letting um, staff, letting um, supervisors know when something has gone wrong with the care of your loved one. 
And again, um, reaching out to the ombudsman when there's an issue that you cannot resolve, resolve directly with the facility. But once you start getting involved in your family's care, then the facility is on a little bit of a higher alert that they know that you're going to see when things don't go right. And that brings me to one more thing before we go to the music, and that is seeing. And um, many states allow cameras in the room. And in these meetings that I went to last week, the experts were all recommending having a camera in the room if it's allowed. Uh, because when the camera's in the room, then there's no longer um, the your loved one's word against somebody else's word. When things don't go right, you actually have the proof right there, and you can see for yourself what happened, what was really going on. So cameras can be very, very helpful. So on that note, I'm going to continue with this topic. I think it's really important, and there were some issues I didn't cover. So I will continue with this, and now we're going to go to the music of our next guest.
right, and we are back. And we were just listening to the music of our next guest, Daryl Strodes. Welcome, Daryl. Hey, Doctor. How are you? I'm good. Good to have you back on the program. Welcome back. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Thanks for having me back. It's been a couple of years, I guess, huh? Wow. Yeah. I think it's been since before COVID, for sure. Uh, definitely. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been a couple of before that. <laughs> so I'm glad to yeah. see you still going strong. Definitely. Um, how are you doing? What are you doing these days? Uh, wow. Um, actually, I'm packing. I'm about to leave for Texas tonight. Um, doing a week in South Padre Island with area code. And then I'm back mm-hmm. to L.A. for a week. And then I'm going to Europe for six weeks. Uh, I have a tour over there. Um, starting in Czech Republic, Poland, France, Italy, and I think Lithuania, I think, or Slovakia, one of the two. I got to look at the schedule. <laughs> so, okay. So, so you have a different. You have your own. You play your own music when you when you go to Europe. Your original yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the ones you just played. Is um, I have an EP coming out, and we have I think there's will be eight songs on the EP. Um, mm-hmm. It's a relatively new project. I just started with these guys about a year ago, so you know it's a work in progress basically. Um, but we're doing pretty well. We're picking up a lot of. We have a lot of blues festivals we're going to be doing um, with some major artists coming up in Europe, and I'm going to try to bring the bring the tour to America towards the end of the year, uh, beginning of 2024. Uh, so keep your fingers crossed. Wish me luck. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. So we just played one of the songs. You said that's on your new EP. Yeah, that's the one that's coming out. We're gonna. It'll be out on my website and on all major streaming streaming machines. I guess is the best way to put it uh, by middle of July. Or so okay. everything goes. As Can you tell us about that song? Was that that was late at night? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's not. It's kind of living vicariously through a friend of mine. He, um, okay. in love with, you know, he was in love with this woman. He's not a musician. He used to, he used to cry on my shoulder all the time. And uh, he was in love with this woman who really didn't have the time of day for him, basically. <laughs> you know, um, she was, I think she was maybe a working girl. <laughs> so, uh-huh. uh, he, yeah, so he basically, he tried to see her during the day whenever he, he could, but she had no time for him until after midnight at the end of the day. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Okay. <laughs> so you took the material, you took his story, and you wrote a song. Yeah, he kept I've, – I've heard – I've, like, listen, literally listened to this story from him for over a year, like a year and a half. And I'm like, uh-huh. you know what, this sounds like it's good. You know, it's not a, I'm not a writer. I'm a songwriter. I'm not a, like, you know, I can't write books, so – I figured I can put it into a song. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. He appreciated it. I think he said he played okay. it for. I don't know if it helped. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So we're going to play another one of your songs. Um, okay. Yeah. That you sent solo. solo. Yeah. Yes. That's the one that I did that? a few years ago. Yeah, that's the one I did a okay. few years ago. Um, I'm going to. It's going to be on the EP because a lot of people liked it and it's. We play it, and it's really fun to play live, too, also. So thanks. Enjoy. All right. So don't go anywhere because we'll talk a little bit on the other side, okay? 
Okay, I'll be right here. All right. Daryl Strode, solo.
we worked with uh, Bobby Humphreys, mm. Wynn Guthrie, a few people, actually, back in the day. Um, we were pretty popular, <laughs> I guess. Pretty lucky, wow. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then I, yeah. And then, um, you know, like most bands with major label contracts, some issues arose down the road with management and funny things with the funding and, you know, so forth and so on. Long story short, I left the States for a while, moved to Hong Kong and was there for a few years and then went to Shanghai. And I was there for Asia, I guess about 10 years, 11 years, and doing a lot of music there and traveling Australia, uh, all of Southeast Asia, some of Europe. And then I um, met my wife actually in China and um, we came back in, I can't remember what year it was, I think it was 12 years ago, and moved to uh, Pittsburgh for a minute, um, to New York for a couple of years, but we were both kind of not fans of winter anymore, <laughs> so we had uh-huh. a chance to move to LA. Yeah, I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we, so we had a chance to move to LA, and we came out here. We've been here for like 11 years now, so, you know, and here we are. <laughs> okay. So to answer your question, probably... I have a lot of singles that I've produced with other people and written for other people. Um, my own stuff, I have a couple of EPs that are out. Everything's available on Apple Music, Spotify, um, YouTube, all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I have a pretty big presence on streaming um, platforms, basically. Okay. So what, what would be the best way for people to find your music? To just look up your name on those uh, platforms? Yeah, just Google me. And I'll come up um, literally, like all the platforms will come up. There's platforms I've never even heard of or I can't pronounce that I know I have music going, uh, basically. So, yeah, they can just Google me. Um, or you can look up my my website is com. So, either one. Okay, your website. I'm going to post your website on the, on my post about this show. So, com. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Great. Yeah, and all the newer, all, yeah, right. all the newer music I have coming out will be posted there first, you know, for people to get a chance to listen to it. And uh, very soon we'll have merchandising there. Um, once I come back from this European tour, we'll be we'll be working with some uh, some merchandising, some T-shirts, um, little things like that. So, you okay, know. great. All right. Well, um, safe travels. We're gonna see you on South Padre in a couple of days. Okay, that's great. That's good. Yeah, see you in area code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it should be yeah. fun. It's only one week this time, though. So. <laughs> yeah, short trip. We're we're just going to yeah. be there one night, so we'll come. Okay. We'll make, be well, sure to see you guys. Okay, everybody who's in the area, tell them to come down. <laughs> yeah, at the the um, East Grand, South Padre yeah, Island. Yep. All right. Quarter deck lounge. The quarter well, deck lounge. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's good All to right. Hear your voice well, again. Yeah, good to hear from you, and and uh, we'll be seeing you. Soon. I'll take. Thank you. I'll All see right. you next week. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thank right. you. Bye bye. All right. Well, we've come to the end of another program, so let me uh, let you guys know what's coming up. Next week, Sunday, June the 4th, we'll be back live with another great show, and we'll be joined from Toronto by registered nurse, geriatric and mental health specialist, author, 
and owner-operator of Alexis Lodges, which provides person-centered care for individuals with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia, Christiana Edgy. So Christiana will discuss dementia and everything that family members of someone with dementia need to know. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, get the website links that we talked about, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com. And you can also hear this evening's show in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can hear it on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. Uh, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for upcoming shows and events. This program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Thank you to my guests, Jay Schneider and Daryl Strode, and thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program.